So the reading um, today is from Genesis, and it can be found on page four of the Church Bibles. Genesis chapter two, verses four to 15. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of tree grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Julie. I'm going to invite David to come up now, and David's going to bring us his reflections as he kind of unpacks this passage. So let's pray for David as he comes and speaks to us. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for David. We thank you for the, um, the experiences he's had of you and the insight that you've given him um, into your word. We thank you, Father, for um, what you want to say to us today through David, and we pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to to hear you speaking to us. We pray that you would help to draw us closer to you and give us a greater understanding um, of that relationship that you want to have with us and and your mission here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. morning. Um, While you're coming forward, um, what do we mean when we talk about that was weak, guys. <laughs> what do we talk about when we think about heaven? What does heaven mean to you? What does heaven look like? Anyone? What does heaven look like? Uh, you're not going to play with me now because I've made you move. <laughs> Come on, what does heaven look like? Big fluffy clouds, thank you. Joy, lovely, yeah. yeah. Legoland. Legoland, fine. <laughs> um, sorry? Light, very nice at the back there, thank you. We have these ideas, don't we, of um, what heaven is and what heaven is like. Um, 
But what does the Bible tell us? Uh, We're starting a new series today for the new year um, called uh, The Places Where Heaven Touches Earth. And this whole series is unpacking this idea of what we mean by heaven and the places where heaven is to be found. Um, And it's my privilege this week to uh, introduce it. And there's there's an element of, you know, when you're writing an essay and people, you know, kind of, when you're doing your A-levels, they say, the thing about writing an essay is your first paragraph, your introduction, what you do is you say what you're about to say, and then you say all the things which you've just said you're about to say, yeah? So this morning, there's an element of that, you know, kind of laying the groundwork for the rest of the series. We're kind of uh, starting by establishing some um, uh, premises, you know, what does the Bible mean uh, by heaven? And then that will lead us through the rest of the series. And we start here um, in the story of creation and the Garden of Eden. Um, Incidentally, this is uh, in part based on a video which I saw for the first time last year um, when I was doing one of these, you know, when you, in January, you start uh, reading the Bible in a year, you start one of those programs and then you forget about it by Easter, one of those things. Um, And this one in particular had lots of video with it. And there was one which came very close to the beginning about heaven and earth um, kind of coming out of this Genesis story. And uh, this series has been in part based on that video. I highly recommend you uh, seek it out. It's by uh, the Bible Project. I'll try and get the administrators to um, put it in the notices for next week so that you can find it easily. But it's freely available on YouTube. Um, So here we are then in Genesis. And I suppose the first question to ask of this, the first sentence of the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, right there, heaven is at the beginning of the story. And so the first question to ask is, why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why? What is heaven for? What is earth for? Um, I've been looking at this a lot this week, um, and here are just a couple of things which I've found out. Um, God created the earth in how many days? Well, six plus the rest day, so seven days, seven-day creation. Um, If you're an ancient Israelite, what does number seven mean to you? How long does it take to uh, dedicate a temple? Any guesses? Seven days, thank you very much. Someone kind of following the breadcrumbs I laid out, thank you very much. Um, yes, yeah, seven days. It took seven days. In, uh, next week, we're going to be learning about the tabernacle, um, the tent of meeting uh, where uh, God uh, first came to dwell with his people. Um, and they built this tent. There are very lengthy instructions in the Bible about how you build the tabernacle. And then they stood in the tent and they worshipped. They had a ceremony which lasted seven days. Then the week after that, we're going to be looking at the temple, the permanent uh, structure in the centre of Jerusalem where God would come to dwell in the Holy of Holies. How long do you think it takes to dedicate a temple? Seven. Seven? Ah, you'd be wrong there. No. (laughs) Sorry. Um, No, no. Sorry. Uh, It was seven days, but it was so important they did it twice. They actually had 14 days' worth of ceremony. But it was two seven-day ceremonies. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I know that was really mean. That was unfair. <laughs> <clears throat> so yes, 
Seven is a really important number when you're creating spaces which are holy. Spaces where God and people meet. Shared spaces. And so God creates the heavens and the earth and he does it in seven days. The universe is God's temple. The whole of creation is the place where we... There's another sign in the next, beginning of the next chapter that creation is a temple because if you go into a pagan temple, you're right to the middle of a pagan temple, not a um, Jewish temple or a Christian church, but you go to a, a pagan temple, you go right to the heart of it, what do you find there? You find an image of that God that we call an idol. Now, we're not allowed to make idols, are we? Second commandment, don't make any idols. The reason is that God has already created an image of himself. There is already an image of God placed in his temple, which is creation. And that image is us, men and women, living in community. So that if you want to know what God looks like, you go and look at the image in the temple. You look at men and women and what men and women looking together, living together in a, a loving community looks like. That's what God looks like and that's the image which is placed uh, in his temple. So, the universe is a temple. That's the first picture we're given of why the universe was created. And then, confusingly, in chapter 2 of Genesis... God creates the world for a second time. Has the writer forgotten that he's just explained how the world was created? Because they don't actually match up. The order of things that are created doesn't match up. Is it just woolly thinking? Or as some people have said, two different accounts smushed together without trying to change any of it so that they actually fit. No, what's happening here is we're being given a second picture of why the universe was created. And so in this image, um, the universe is, rather than a temple, is a garden. What is a, what, what's a garden? I don't know what baggage you bring to the word garden. Um, are there any gardeners in? Anyone like gardening? Yeah, a few people? I hate gardening. I cannot tell you enough how much I hate gardening. You know, I'd tarmac our backyard if it were up to me, but, you know... If really, I, I, yeah, um, I said this in the first service. We, have an, we had an apple tree in our garden, and it started, it fell over in the wind, and it was overgrowing the path, and we couldn't get to our garage through the back garden. Uh, and it took me three months to chop it down. Um, that's how little I want to go in the garden and do any kind of work. So gardens, to me, uh, is not the best image, maybe, of somewhere where I kind of want to spend time with God. Um, Perhaps uh, an independently spirited coffee shop of Eden would have been nice, or a library. Um, but no, it's a garden. So what uh, do gardens mean to the ancient Israelites? I was reminded as I was preparing this, it keeps coming back to me, the first uh, kind of eight or so lines of um, the poem Kubla Khan. Do you know this poem? Kind of very famous poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the Romance Poet. Um, and it begins, um, In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man, 
down to a sunless sea, and twice five miles of fertile ground with walls and towers were girdled round, and there were gardens bright with sinuous rills, where blossomed many an incense-bearing tree, and there were forests ancient as the hills in folding sunny spots of greenery. A beautiful image of a garden that uh, the Mongol Emperor Kublai Khan uh, built as a place to uh, relax and uh, spend time. Um, Kublai Khan uh, ruled a much more peaceful kingdom uh, than his grandfather Genghis Khan, uh, who was the great conqueror. Kublai was able to consolidate his power in China and build palaces and gardens and things. You know, a garden, um, certainly uh, in the Israelite imagination, was not something everyone had access to. It was a place where uh, they were part of palace complexes, so places where kings and emperors would um, display their power by rerouting rivers through uh, and, and creating canals. Uh, there were places where they'd travel far across their empires and bring back the sweetest smelling blossoms and plant them there. So you had these incredible, you know, rich kind of fragranced, beautiful places where you could go and spend time and meditate and pray and get away from your uh, responsibilities of ruling. Places which you would only share with your closest uh, friends and family. And so, in the imagination of the writer of Genesis, this is what a garden means. It's a place where a king or an emperor spends their leisure time. And that's the image we're given there. And in this, uh, in this picture of creation, humans are put into the garden. In verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so we're given responsibility to this, um, to this sanctuary. You know, it's as to keep this place beautiful, as to tend it, to maintain the sanctuary of God. And it's a place where we read in the next chapter, God would come and in the evening after a day of labour, would come and rest and walk with his creation. So that's our second uh, image of what creation is like. And we know from uh, verses 10 to uh, 14, it gives quite specific geographic information about where this garden is, because this, this is not a, a, a garden in space or in some um, kind of alternate dimension. This is a, a garden which was supposed to be located on Earth. You know, two of these rivers you can still go and swim in today. The Euphrates and the Tigris are still there. Uh, the other two rivers, we don't know where they are, uh, but, the, you know, there are dry riverbeds in that part of the world. You know, it's quite possible that there are rivers. The, the, the other two rivers were real rivers, which we now no longer know where they are. You know, it was a, Eden was a place where ostensibly you could go, although 
you can't find it, I've looked. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's not enough in there to kind of really zoom in. But, um, but it's a place on earth um, that God and people would spend together. So there we have two images, two pictures of what creation is for. We have the temple and we have the garden, the, the sanctuary of relaxation. And God shares both of those spaces with us. He places, both, places us in both of those spaces. Because the intent of creation, and this is the theme which is going to run through the rest of the series, the intent of creation was that God's space, which we call heaven, and human space, that we call earth, would be the same space. You know, in the Venn diagram of heaven and earth, it was a circle. Human space and God's space is designed to be the same. And so when I say, what does heaven look like? Heaven looks like this. If you want to know what heaven looks like, look outside the door. You know, it's candles and it's wood, wooden archways and it's people and it's trees I can see through the gap there and it's heaven looks like earth but you know godier because heaven is just the space where God is space where God lives and the intention was that that would always be the same as our space but as I'm sure you know the next chapter uh, things are rather awry. I think the problem with the Adam and Eve story is we, um, we kick sin off to Adam and Eve. You know, this is a story which was ancient history to people we regard as ancient history, you know. You can go back thousands of years, and this is still stuff which those people would consider to have happened thousands of years before them. It kind of all mushes together for us, but this is supposed to be old, old, old stuff, and it's really easy to push that um, the breaking of the cosmos to old people. And so... What I want you to do now is just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to go in your heads to the Garden of Eden. What does Eden look like? The most beautiful, lush garden you can imagine. Full of uh, the most beautiful, sweet-smelling trees from all creation. Watered by beautiful canals. Imagine the animals and the birds that live there maybe also and you live there you you tend that garden and you walk in that garden with God at his leisure but there's one thing you've been told not to do you have been given all the riches of this garden you may eat of any tree in the garden the king has welcomed you into his private space and told you that you may help yourself. But there's one tree which you may not eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree which 
says, God doesn't get to tell me what's right. I will decide for myself what's right. I wonder if this week there was a time where you thought that to yourself. There's something which you wanted to do or an impulse which you knew you shouldn't give in to or a word you knew you shouldn't say. And you said it anyway or did it anyway. I want you to see what that was, that fruit in front of you. And in your mind's eye, I want you to reach out and take that fruit. Okay, you can open your eyes. The Adam and Eve story is not remote from us. We inherit it not because it belongs to our great, 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 great grandfathers. We inherit it because it is our story. This is a drama which plays out in our life almost every minute of every day. And as a result of what happened in the garden, the universe becomes broken. Heaven and earth no longer occupy the same space. The place where God is and the place where humans are can't overlap because the place where humans are is full of sin and the place where God is is not. It's full of holiness and light and beauty and purity. And so if human space isn't full of all those things as well, they become separated. And that's where our story starts. And over the next few weeks, we're going to, as I say, we're going to look at the tabernacle, how God first started traveling with his people. We'll look at the temple that Solomon built, the Holy of Holies, this kind of permanent structure where God created a pocket of heaven in the midst of the darkness, a place where he could live in our world. We'll look at the man who came, that everywhere his feet touched, the shoots of a garden began to grow. At the church he left, the community he left, to continue creating that holy space. And then finally we'll get to Revelation, the image of the end of time, the finish of this story when all of this imagery of the garden and of um, these great cities of God, when all of that comes to fruition in the last two chapters of Revelation, and all of this imagery comes, comes back to uh, conclude the story. And that's what our series is about. But I don't want to leave you in the place of holding onto that fruit because I think that would be unfair. So, just in your minds again, you're holding that fruit. And then you look and you see that beside you is a man on a cross. And you let go of the fruit as the man says to you, this day, you will meet me in the garden of my father's pleasure. And then a few days later, you'll mourn it a, 
an empty tomb. And someone says to you, why are you crying? And you look up and you see a man and you don't know who he is, but for just a moment, you think he's the gardener. 